You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Jesus came and he willingly gave himself and he died on a cross and he was buried. Three days later, he rose again. He did that for you. He did that for me. He did that for the world. Maybe you're listening, watching my live stream. However, you're listening and hearing. Would you like to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? It means you have to be willing to repent. It just means to turn. You turn from going your way. You become a follower of Jesus. The Bible is a gift. It's full of teachings, parables, and examples of how Christians ought to live. Most importantly, it's about Jesus. It contains prophecy leading up to His first coming. It describes His earthly ministry. It tells of His death and resurrection, and it continues with prophecy regarding His imminent second coming. In today's message, Pastor Danny encourages you to give your life to Jesus, repent and turn from your sin. Whoever believes in Him will be saved for eternity. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark, chapter 4, as he continues his message, Sowing, Growth, and Harvest. sower has nothing to do with what the seed produces. Don't miss that. From a little seed, a little seed that you take and you plant in the ground and you go to sleep and it's, it's growing. Something's happening. You wake back up and you go out and you see, oh, wow, you go back to sleep. That's what the text says, whether you wake or whether you sleep. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. You go, how in the world did that happen? John the Baptist said something, John chapter 3, very important if you're a minister, Bible study leader, whatever. Uh, You know, look, a man can only receive what is given him from heaven. The size of your ministry, the success of your ministry from a world's point of view, look, that's all dependent on how faithful you are and then God's will. Okay? Noah, after 120 years of preaching and being faithful, had eight people respond. Eight. Okay? So you need to not forget that. However, however, look, the produce, the fruit of your ministry has, this will be encouraging, nothing to do with you except how faithful you are with this book. Sow the seed. Sow the word. No matter where you are ministering, no matter what exactly your type of ministry is, whether you're a pastor of a local church, whatever you're doing, it's the word, the word, the word, and the word. That's the key. 
No, no place for, oh yeah, you got the right one and you chose me. Has nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. Who has what he has not received? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you did not? The early church had no buildings, no organized programs, no technology, no social media, and no superstars who spoke or wrote about recently formulated methodologies for attracting a bigger crowd. And there are marketing strategies you can use to build your ministry. And if you use those, you have to keep using those to keep the people that you've attracted. It's the word that does the work. That's why First Peter, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up. The word. That's why John records Jesus' truthful statement, sanctify them, Father, by the truth. Your word is truth. That's why 2 Timothy, Paul writes, all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now let me, let me hone in on this point before we move on. Let me hone in on this. The word does the essential work and the initial, the initial essential work in a person's life has to do with the main theme of this book. Now, this book has wonderful truths. This book, if you want a godly, if you want a godly marriage, this book can tell you how to have a godly marriage. If you just be willing to, to obey it. This book uh, can tell you how to be a good parent. This book can tell you how to be a good son, a good daughter. Uh, this book can give you very practical instruction about finances and business. There's a lot of things in this book, a lot of wisdom in this book. It's a book of wisdom. But the primary theme of the book, throughout the book, could I summarize it as simply as I possibly can? The main theme of this book is Jesus. He's the Savior of the world. And more than somebody needing to know how to be a good parent, you need to know how to be a good parent. But more than that, more than knowing how to be a good son or daughter, more than knowing good business and financial principles, more than those things, you need to know we're lost and we need a Savior. We're tainted by sin and we need to be cleansed. So the central theme of this book, please bear with me. Genesis 3.15, after Adam and Eve, our great forefathers, sin. And God said there in Genesis chapter 3, a seed that would come from a woman will crush the head of the serpent who has deceived now man and brought sin into the world. A seed, a seed, a singular person. You continue on, not very far in Genesis, and the seed will come through a man named Abraham, through his lineage. You find that Abraham and Sarah are too old to have children, and so they have this child. And the child typifies this seed that would ultimately come through the lineage of Abraham. This particular one, his name is Isaac. Isaac is a miracle child. And when Isaac is a young man, God tells Abraham, take your one and only son, take him on Mount Moriah, which geographically just happens to be where Mount Calvary was. Take him and offer him as a sacrifice. 
This same Abraham, chapter 14 of Genesis, is met by a figure uh, after Abraham is given victory over these kings that have kidnapped his nephew Lot. And this man, Melchizedek, he's king of Salem, king of peace. He's also priest. Under the Old Testament, you couldn't be a king and a priest, so this guy's unique. He's a priest and a king. He's king of peace, but he's priest of God most high. And he comes out and he brings bread and wine and he serves Abraham. I wonder what the bread and wine might mean. The Bible tells us he's without beginning of days or end of life. He's eternal. He is Christ. He is Joseph, hated by his brothers, sold into the world, Egypt. And after a period of suffering, he's exalted to second in command in all of the world. And he becomes the savior of the world, if you know the story of Joseph. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb that by his sacrifice and his applied blood, you can be delivered from the bondage of Egypt. But he's not just the Passover lamb. He's as now you're delivered from the bondage of Egypt. He's the supernatural food, the manna that comes down from heaven. 1 Corinthians 10, he's the rock that accompanied them. He's the rock that was smitten, and after smitten, waters of salvation and mercy and grace come out, and that rock is Christ. Deuteronomy 18, 18, he's the prophet like unto Moses, whom God specifically said when he comes, you must listen to him. He is the fulfillment of every Old Testament sacrifice. He is Joshua. Moses, representing the law, cannot lead us into the land of promise. So Joshua, which by chance is the Old Testament name, equal to the New Testament name, Jesus. And he leads us into the land of promise. Throughout the Old Testament, he is the angel of the Lord. You find him time and time again. And one significant appearance is near the end of the Old Testament in Zechariah chapter 3. Let me read you this fascinating word. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Wait a minute. This is Joshua, the high priest. He's a burning stick snatched from the fire? Yeah, you can be a high priest, but you need a savior. Now, Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin, and I'll put rich garments on you. And then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and put clean clothes on him. So they put clean clothes on him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The Psalms, the prophetic books are filled with words about him, some which have already come true and some which will come true. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 tells you where he would be born where he was born, Bethlehem. And if you got any, any, any spiritual sensitivity at all, when you read 
places like Psalm 22, you get Jesus bumps. It opens this way. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The very words Jesus spoke from the cross. Verse 6, I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by men, despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads, which is exactly what happened. It gets more fascinating. You get to verse 16, the last part. They have pierced my hands and my feet before, years before anybody ever conceived of a cross. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing, which is what the soldiers did at the foot of the cross, gambling for his clothes. Then you get to places like Isaiah 53, and it gets even more fascinating. Isaiah 53, verse 4, surely he took up our infirmities, carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God. He was pierced, there it is again, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds were healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But then you read on in verse 9. Here's what it says. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. He died as a criminal. He would have been buried in a common criminal's grave. But the next part of the verse, and with the rich in his death, Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, comes and asks for Pilate, asks from Pilate permission to take the body of Jesus. He gets permission. He takes the body of Jesus and he buries Jesus in his own personal rich man's tomb. And then it ends, that chapter. He was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. I'll go on, even if you're tired of hearing it. Zechariah chapter 11, you talk about specific prophecy in regard to the main theme of this book. Here's what Zechariah says in chapter 11. What is the price you will pay me? And so they paid me the handsome price, 30 pieces of silver. And they threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Fascinating. Judas takes the 30 pieces of silver, and in remorse, not repentance, he goes back to the Jewish leaders. He throws the money into the temple. They pick the money up, those 30 pieces of silver. They say, we can't put it into the temple treasury because this is blood money. So here's what we'll do. We'll buy the potter's field as a burial place for criminals. (laughs) And then you get to Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 to 27, and we have an exact prophetic timeline from the issuing of the decree to rebuild the temple And then Messiah comes, and Messiah is cut off. That's the cross. And an indefinite period of time that we're living in right now called the church age. And at the end of the church age, a final seven years of period, the great tribulation, and then Jesus comes back. It's all there in Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 to 27. There is no other book like this book. I know I spent a lot of time on this point. Here's what Jesus said in the volume of the book, it is written of me. It's the main theme of the book. What's the point? The point is this. When you think about the privilege we have of of sowing this seed, when you think about 
The power, the power, the power. We have to never forget that the main theme of this book is Jesus. Yes, if someone wants to know about parenting, you can share those things. Yes, if someone wants to know about finance. Yes, all those things. But ultimately, ultimately, if they become a better business person or they get their finances in order and don't hear about Jesus and don't get a chance to receive Jesus, what good is it? Keep the main thing the main thing. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection, that's the message. That's the main thing. Because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And so in light of that, we come to now the third point, and we're coming close to a close, the priority. It ought to be a priority. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, not your opinion. If it's your opinion, you say, here's why I have that opinion. And it goes beyond your opinion. Here's why I have my opinion. It's not your logic. It's not us. It's not our intellect. It's the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. And the word has the power. Isaiah 55, God says, look, you can know that as I send my word out, it'll do what I want it to do. It won't come back void. They may close their ears to it, nevertheless. My word will do the work. Isaiah 55, you look at it. Verses 10 and 11. And then last but not least, from the text, there is the harvest. Now, if you're really paying attention and you really are taking notes and you're disappointed that I gave you three P's and an H, then you change the H, the harvest, to produce. If that'll help you, there you have it. But I like just saying the harvest, the harvest. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. Now, I didn't see it initially, but I will suggest that there is a, there is a harvest in this life and Of course, that's what the psalmist is writing about, I believe, at least in context of the whole Bible. Those who sow in tears, the idea is you're so concerned about people that it affects you emotionally that you uh, will reap with songs of joy because you go out weeping. You really care about people carrying seed to sow, carrying seed to sow. And because the seed does the work, you're going to, if you keep sowing the word, keep sowing the word, you're going to, in God's time and in God's will, have some sheaves fruit. I want to read you what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 19 and 20. Very important. Very important. He says, what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? I love years ago hearing Jim Cimbala comment on this verse, and he illustrated some things in his own life. He said, you know, I'm pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and there's probably over 10,000 people that call, them, call it their home church. I've written some best-selling books. We have the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, and that's pretty impressive, and, and some people are really impressed with that. And he, and he read from this verse in the context of, of all those things, and he says, what am I going to do, say to God? Oh, weren't you impressed with my best-selling books? God wrote the Bible. 
And his point was well taken, and I never forgot it based on this verse. Here's what's important. Not the building, not the books, not any of that stuff. It's the people that were saved because you were willing to just sow some seed. To sow some seed. There is a sister parable to the parable that we covered today. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus told another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and he went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And the servant asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Good point. Let both grow together until the harvest. That time I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. That's hell. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. That's heaven. Verse 36, he left the crowd. His disciples came to him and said, explain to, the, to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he said, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They'll weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They'll throw them into the fiery furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And then here he goes again. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You're going to live forever. Did you know that? And there is no party, and there is nothing in this life outside of the will of God that is worth sacrificing for losing your soul. Nothing. And at the end, the great harvest, which I believe is coming soon, the weeds and the wheat will be separated. Did you get the emphasis there? The weeds and the wheat grow together until the harvest. Don't wait till the harvest. There is a harvest now. I love, as kind of a spiritual farmer, that's kind of what I get paid to do, be a spiritual farmer. And I've kind of, again, sowed, not kind of, sowed the seed. The main theme of the book is Jesus. Jesus came, and he willingly gave himself, and he died on a cross, and he was buried. Three days later, he rose again. He did that for you. He did that for me. He did that for the world. Maybe you're listening, watching by live stream. However you're listening and and hearing, would you like to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? It means you have to be willing to repent. It just means to turn. You turn from going your way, you become a follower of Jesus. And if you're willing to turn from going your way, if you'll ask Jesus right now to come into your life and to forgive you, he will. Just ask him to right now from your heart. He can hear you. He knows you. He knows what you're saying in your spirit. So you just ask him, oh, Lord, forgive me. Come into my life. 
Just tell him, Lord, I receive you as Lord and Savior of my life. We're so thankful to be able to share the Word of God with you here on The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. If you want to hear today's message again, please visit ccfstpete.church. You can also join in our Bible reading plan. Just look under the Resources tab on our website for more information. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? You might not realize how powerful prayer can be, especially during such uncertain times. There might be a listener who's really struggling, and God might stir in their heart a renewal of their faith simply by listening to this program. Please pray that each person who hears these messages would find encouragement. Just as we're reminded in Mark, God came to earth as a human, suffered in all the ways we do, and ultimately came to redeem each one of us. That's the takeaway we hope every listener gains from tuning in. Please pray for us also to seek God's will for this program and for it to continue to reach people in a powerful way. Thanks for praying with and for us. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Danny continued looking at the book of Mark. We hope that you'll tune in again right here on The Living Word.